Now, make no mistake, we are living in the age of globalization. And on a daily basis, that pretty much around the world, the protests and riots are taking place across the continent. Over the episodes that we've been talking about the country of Ukraine and countries in Southeast Asia and even some of the crucial countries in the Middle East, but somehow there's one nation today, it's undergoing such significant political and also this economic turmoil, which is the country of Tunisia. Now, if you follow our show that you know that within this country, not only it's just about the leader leadership, but also that what kind of policies and what kind of domestic policies are actually creating such chaos. So that's why today in this episode, we are going to talk about the country of Tunisia and how about the current political and also this economic chaos and how should we understand everything. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to introduce Ms. Zinab Riboa. Now, Zinab is a research associate and a program manager of Hudson Institute's Center for Peace and the Security in the Middle East. She specializes in China's involvement in the Middle East, North African affairs, and Israeli-Arab relations. Zinab, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you very much, Will, for having me. You know, I want to start with something that, um, because again, as we mentioned before, you are very active on social media and regarding the country of Tunisia. And I want to read something that you tweeted and recently, and this is what you said. You said today, also thinking of, uh, thinking of Tunisians, brave people, honorable history with strong value being abused by the president regime. I hope they wake up before it's too late. Now, as we mentioned before, this country is undergoing such tremendous and also, of course, tragic political and also this economic turmoil. Help us to understand what is the story behind your tweet? Yeah, so um, so I, I tweeted that because I've seen how um, I've seen how the inflation is, is really degrading the Tunisian economy. And I saw a video, just a heartbreaking video of Tunisians just trying to grab sugar. Uh, because they have huge sugar shortages, and even if the, um, even when the uh, Tunisian government made deals with India and Algeria, it was still and uh, it was still uh, not sufficient. So I um, so that's why I tweeted it. But uh, but then concerning the whole context, I mean Tunisia knew uh, a turmoil since the Arab Spring in uh, 2011. Um, they had uh, they had uh, a hard time in uh, in having a new constitution, uh, having a new government in the, in the addressing in their society uh, because because they've been fighting for democracy. Um, they, they truly believe that they need a, a system that works for the people. And despite all of these years, uh, and their um, and their resistance to any type of dictatorship, whether by the Islamists or by others, uh, they still are struggling today with the president, the new president, President Kai Said. Um, he modified the constitution. It was a huge power grab, um, and and he and when I talked to uh, uh, a Tunisian, he basically told me that we wish actually he would have the power grab, but at least fix the economy. Mm. Uh, and he's doing neither. 
uh, people are suffering right now. Uh, there is a huge unemployment. Um, the um, I think I think I, I have a number here of the trade deficit and the Tunisia's Tunisia's trade deficit increased by fifty seven point one percent, which is huge uh, on an annual basis from uh, uh, from January July twenty twenty two, and so they are really struggling. Uh, economically speaking, but also politically, uh, and so um, uh, and so this is. I think this is. Um, 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 these are few things to uh, to show why uh, I think I think I think Tunisians. Um, I think Tunisians are very much aware of how dangerous the situation has become. Um, but how are they going to solve it? How are they going to? Um, to fight for um, for their own uh, for their own uh, ba- for their own basic human rights, um, I think this is something we should we should all watch very closely. Zineb, I think during the previous answer that you just shared with us, again, you touch on so many significant points. But I want to take a step by step. Let's talk about this constitution modification. Help us to understand, because we know, again, Constitution, it's one of the significant or rather important documents, not just for the country of Tunisia, but also pretty much for every single country. Again, as we mentioned before, we're living in the age of globalization, and we've seen how the current leaders across the world, some leaders are trying to change the Constitution, or some leaders have successfully did so, and of course, the results seems rather disappointing but rather going back to the country of tunisia what does that mean the president changed the constitution and within the constitution what has been done or so in other words after changing it do you think the constitution becomes more more powerful for the country or it actually becomes one of the significant mechanism that which lead to the dictatorship what do you think so, um, so because I'm not I'm not an expert on uh, on the legal affairs surrounding the Tunisian uh, uh, Tunisian uh, um, you know constitution, what I can say uh, after talking to a Tunisian official is that um, is a prison said he's a, he, he's he's um, his training is that he's a professor uh, in law. Uh, he is. He pays attention uh, to you know the legal frameworks, etc. And so this is how um, how he sees the world and how he sees Tunisia. He doesn't have a training in, in economics. Doesn't have a training in uh, other uh, related areas. And so for him, um, modifying um, the constitutional legal framework in Tunisia is the basis of whatever he's going to do. Mm. And so this is why in in July. To, um, um, July twenty five, I think twenty twenty two. That's where he did the uh, the um, um, the modification. And and what I think is um, is important to uh, to keep in mind it, it's that it's a, it's a personally drafted constitution. Mm. He did not consult with any of the, his uh, advisors or any um, uh, any other Tunisians. Um, 
uh, that are close to the parliament or the government, uh, he, he did it on his own. Uh, and the purpose of uh, the, uh, the draft was to concentrate as much power as possible uh, around the presidency. And so he, he basically gave himself more authority um, so that whenever, I don't know, the uh, parliament is suspended, he would, he would still operate, um, you know, there is no check and balances anymore. Uh, and this is why I think all of the, uh, um, all of the Tunisia experts um, and uh, many of the people who follow Tunisia very closely were very alarmed uh, because it means that um, and all the project that Tunisians fought for, uh, it just vanished. Mm. Uh, and, and so uh, so this is, I think, um, what it means. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot give more detail because I, I just do not know uh, much about uh, you know, the legal framework in Tunisia, but I think these are, are, are the bases. Uh, so I think, um, I think, it's, I think it, it was just a really a turning point. Um, and this is why there are looming sanctions against mm. him. Uh, because it's just uh, uh, because it, it basically means he, he wants to install a dictatorship, mm. um, and so um, and so yeah, this is uh, this, this will be my answer to that. Thank you. Now, I want to talk about the current economic turmoil in this country. You know, again, when we look at the chaos which related to economy, w one of the countries that pop into our head, which is Sri Lanka. And again, we know that this country is such a small country, but because of this governmental corruption or this uh, economic deficit, and we've seen that how people took their angers and frustration to the street. Now, fast forward today in Tunisia, streets are also filled with people who are angry and frustrated because this economic turmoil or this economic deadlock. Now, help us to understand how devastating is the economic situation based on the conversation that you have or you had with Tunisians and why is it important for them to take their angers and frustration and voices to the street and how effective has it been? What do you think? Yeah, so uh, I mean, that's totally true. Uh, people are immensely frustrated and they do go on protests. Uh, however, so far, I don't think that there was a massive one. Um, but to understand the situation is that prior to the Arab Spring, Tunisia was a, was a very important economy. Mm. I mean, we're talking about very well-educated people uh, who dedicated actually a lot of their uh, resources to education and health. Um, they had uh, very, very good industries, especially mm. in textile and other related um, uh, industries and, uh, and 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 so they went from that to basically having you know the Arab Spring and so the all all the implications of it so it was basically you know, a whole chaos and then once they get on their feet they have COVID there's the COVID and there's COVID and there's a pandemic and so um, uh, and so they they really suffered from that there's also something to note where. Um, well, Tunisia relies a lot on tourism, mm. uh, and so and so during the Arab Spring, there were so many uh, you know suicide bombings and so on that it kind of it it, it, made, it made many people afraid of going to Tunisia too. So um, so they had so 
I think I think the uh, major assumption was that okay, once we have a government, we will build um, our industries. We will go back on track. Uh, you know, it's true we had this whole chaos with the Arab Spring, but tourism is still you know a major. Um, sector uh and so uh, we need to build it up uh but this is not what happened what happened was that there was an accumulation of issues upon issue uh and and because the tunisian population you know it's it's mainly um young people uh, and so there's huge unemployment rate right now uh i think i think i have the number um uh, so, yeah, so I, I found that the overall employment stands at nearly 17%. Mm. And with youth unemployment, nearly double that. So the the situation is really, um, I think it's just a, a boiling one. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, they, they could not recover from the pandemic. Uh, and, and there's also something to take into consideration because Tunisia is, um, you know, there is a domestic policy part. But there's also the foreign policy part, where uh, Tunisia cannot do uh, much without cooperating with either neighboring countries or, or other countries. When you have a president like Kais, uh, who who thinks, you know, uh, who, who modified the constitution and made all these drastic uh, changes, other countries also think, okay, this is basically a dictator. Uh, we would not want to collaborate with him. Mm. Um uh, and and so um, so I think I think um, this happened uh, especially during uh, uh, the uh, an event called the, the TDAG, the Tokyo International Cooperation. Mm. Uh, I think uh, where, where it was held in in, in Tunis, and so. Um, so there was this conference where it was basically Japan you know, with its companies and businesses coming to Africa so that they can extend uh, their outreach and extend their industries. And, be, and it was based in Tunis. But because President Kais, you know, he has his own foreign policy now uh, where it's not about collaborating with other countries, he invited actually um, uh, a separatist, um, a tourist group um, called the Polisario Front. He invited their president. Um, and, and so he came to the conference uh, and it was just a, uni a unilateral decision. Uh, uh, of course, Japan said, uh, denounced that because they do not recognize that entity. Mm. They do not understand why um, there is this, um, I mean, this organization is, uh, is present at the conference uh, where it doesn't recognize it. Uh, the same happened with Morocco. Morocco sees Tunisia as, a, as an ally. Mm. Tunisia, um, you know, they, they, I think um, um, most of the final financial services in Tunisia are, uh, uh, rely on Moroccan companies. So they have that type of uh, relations. So Morocco condemned that, uh, and and so President Kais put himself and Tunisia in a situation where, uh, you know, in an embarrassing situation where uh, its its allies, you know, like Morocco, um, you know, felt embarrassed, and then. Uh, you have Japan. I was actually very interested in uh, getting more companies. You know, now feeling uh, that maybe this is not the right thing. Um, there were also other 
African countries uh, in the conference are all condemned uh, what President Kai is dead. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's worth also looking that, uh, it's also worth um, noting that a lot of these domestic policy issues, you know, they have a direct link with what President Kai is doing in the region. Um, and so, um, uh, and so, yeah, I hope I, um, I answered uh, that question. You sure did. Now, you know, given the fact that this sitting president, number one, as you mentioned before, is not keen on this open cooperation with any other foreign relations or any other foreign countries, and also that domestically, because the ter uh, economic turmoil that really led to the price increases and also the food shortages. And of course, the result of that is we're seeing every day and the protests and also the riots are taking place every day. Now, at the beginning, you used a very interesting word, which is called democracy. And we know that today, when we type in the word democracy in Google or any search engine, I think very likely you are the expert that you agree with me that majority of the political scientists or even as an expert as you are, agree that democracy is actually in trouble today across the continent. I mean, not just for Tunisia, but for many other countries and for various reasons. But now let's go back to Tunisia. What does that mean today when we say the word democracy in Tunisia and how important it is for people to continue to fight for democracy and to preserve the meaning of democracy today? Yeah, sure. Uh, but before I do that, I, I also wanted to mention something um, about the war in Ukraine. Uh, the war in Ukraine is, has an, uh, an immense impact on North Africa. Mm. And you can also feel that in Ukraine, uh, in Tunisia, because they rely on um, on wheat and other uh, um and other grains, mm. uh, and so uh, and so there is also that to uh, heavily take into consideration. Um, uh, concerning democracy, what it really means, to be frank, I I um, I think it me I think I think it depends on what on, on the people. Mm. Um, for for Tunisians, uh, it's clear that it means you know freedom of choice, uh, freedom of expression. I mean, many many um, dissidents are now in jail because of President Kais and because they uh, they opposed what he did. Um, um, it also means uh, hum basic human rights. Um, I mean, you can see now how, uh, you know, if you tweet something, if you say something, uh, you go to jail. Um, and so, um, and so I think, I think it just, I do not like to, to, um, to use that term just in abstract. I think uh, it's important to contextualize it, um, especially, you know, you can see how things are now um, in Iran where, uh, where you know, they, they don't even talk about democracy. They, they really just want... Um, they just want to live uh, and to uh, and to exist as they are because use of how you know the regime what that all the all their rights so um, so I think I'll, I'll approach it from uh, from that perspective um, as I said Tunisians are are very well um, educated people and they have a long history uh, of um, 
of uh, you know of of debate and uh, um, of a democratic way of living and of a, of a, especially you know, the political life. Um, so I think this is uh, I think it's it's worth uh, also looking at the history uh, of Tunisians in that regard. Uh, and so it's um, yeah it's it's truly sad that now they are struggling with it. But um, I think as of as of you've seen me um, you know tweeting before, I do not think that Tunisians will um, will not fight. I think um, you know just knowing how they they operate, uh, I do not think that they will let it go. Um, I think it's very. It will be very important and crucial in next months and next years to follow closely the situation. Um, I think it's a, it's a bowling one, um, and and so it's, it's really a ticking bomb. I, I don't think they will just you know uh, stay uh, and say, oh, actually we, we will follow whatever President Kai said mm. um, uh, says. So um, so yeah, I think that's how uh, how I see it. Sineb, mm. I know your time is a very precious and i got two more questions before letting you go and also you briefly touched on the country of iran of course going back to your social media you also tweeted something regarding the country of iran as well again lately because of one girl's death that really created this political and also this social unrest within the country which draws attention across the world and everyone it's also paying attention to the reaction from the government and also understand what is the political system and what is the economic system is going on in the country of Iran. So quickly from your perspective, how much do you think that the government today or the Iranian government today is willing to change the political or even the social policies because or because the whole world has already found out the death because the one innocent lives so in other words every life matter now at this moment how much do you think that really served as a strong message to the government of iran at this moment yeah i think it's, it's a very it's a very interesting question because the way i see it is that it, is that even if they want to do a reform um, no one will listen to them. They have uh, they have lost complete uh, legitimacy. Um, they are seen as you know as uh, as occupiers of Iran because of the Islamic Republic. Um, they are no longer welcome. I, I think you've seen. Um, some videos in Balochistan, for example, we are chasing uh, officials. They are chasing uh, IRGC officials. Um, they um, they really see them as no longer um, um, welcome in the country. And so, even if they want a reform, even if they want to do like a reform and have Iranians um, um, all together again. I think I think the message um, is clear uh, when they say um, they, because they they're not saying oh we want a reform of hijab we want uh, we want more uh, houses we want more employment no they are saying that to Khamenei they are saying uh, uh, you know down with the Islamic Republic um, they should go uh, they should go. Um, so, so, so I think I think this is why it's a um, it's a very different situation. I know. Um, I mean, this is not the first time that there are protests happens in Iran. There were many, uh, especially with the Green Revolution um, and um, and some others. But 
you can see today how it's this is very different there is one slogan uh and there's no special social class you know it's not the poor uh asking for more it's all people um asking for one thing which is to have the regime down i do not know um how how it will play out i do not know um, you know as we talk if these protests will continue but i think this will have severe implications uh i think iran will not be the same uh, after after this protest and i do not think that for the ayatollahs to come out with a reform will will fix it mm. I want to wrap up our conversation a bit, again, going back to this economic conversation also related to the country of Iran. We know from the Western side that sanctions after sanctions have been placed upon Iran, which is very crucial for the country. Because we know that after uh, uh, being uh, placed on the sanctions, and that could basically cut off the major economic income or economic resources for the country. And of course, that people are the victims of the sanctions. Now, my last question is, if the Iranian government realized that because of the political behaviors and because of the social unrest, that more people are going to suffer and more people are going to be frustrated with the government what is the attitude of the government today? Do they actually care about the people or they simply just wanted to uh, uh, continue their ideology or continue this power grabbing greed? What do you think? Yeah, it's a it's a very timely question because um, because just to go back to what you said, the the sanctions there were really massive sanctions uh during during the during the trump administration and they were only planned for 18 months mm. so so i think we have not if they continued uh iran would have stopped a lot of its um all just malign activities against america and against uh, a lot of its neighboring countries because whether you uh if you, if you lift sanctions um, and you think these, the, the money will go to the people. I think people are immensely mis mistaken because because Iran, uh, whatever uh, resources they have, they go to the, its proxies in Yemen, they go to Hezbollah, they go to the Polisario Front, they go to they never go to uh, you know to the people. Um, I think I've talked to um, to an Iranian American lately, and they basically told me how uh, there is a whole city now in ruin, and it used to be one of the most beautiful cities. Mm. Uh, and um, and and so uh, and so it's if if um, if the, if uh, if Western governments are the want to uh, want to help the people, they actually should impose sanctions. Uh, when I went to the protests, for example, uh, I could see how people they they were asking for more sanctions mm. they were even saying no deal with iran just a nuclear deal um and so uh and so i think uh i think there's um there's definitely uh a new foreign policy that needs to be implemented uh to not just help the people of iran because they they do massively want to turn um you know to just change the regime but also to protect uh western interests especially american ones uh when um and so, and so i think um 
I think this um, uh, this this will be a huge debate, uh, and it is now a huge debate on what should be done. You can see how Canada now is also imposing sanctions. They even have been considering to put IRGC on a terrorist list, um, and so um, and so. Yeah, I think um, I think we'll see how um, how um, how other countries will will respond to that. For now, um, of course, I believe that more sanctions will actually um, make coerce uh, will coerce the, the regime um, will also uh, turn down the whole uh, terrorism activities um, and of course um, it makes no sense to appease and normalize with a regime that is slaughtering its own people um, actually as we're talking I received this um, this message this morning how about today it will be called a Friday massacre because they are just killing uh, thousands of people uh, so um, so the situation is very um, it's very worrisome. well I have to say it's rather devastating to know that innocent lives are basically the how can i say the result of any political or any social unrest which is very sad to hear and of course it's even much sadder to understand or comprehend the whole concept well ladies and gentlemen i am so honored to speak to miss zinat ruboa and she's a research associate and a program manager of Hassan Institute Center for Peace and Security in the Middle East. She specializes in China's involvement in the Middle East, North African affairs, and Israeli-Arab relations. Thank you so much for taking your time to join the show. Again, we really appreciate your insights and regarding the country of Tunisia and also the country of Iran. And we'd love to have you back on the show as we continue to follow the progress and to continue to pay attention to this political and social, most importantly, economic uh, uh, um, situations in any of the countries. So thank you so much for doing this.